Hey, it's Jake. Today we're talking about a number of issues, some relating to sexualized violence. If you choose to listen and need supports, check out some of the links in our show notes below for resources. Take care. A recent example, Lizzo, who everyone loves, who's Mm -hmm. awesome. It's about damn time. Yes, it is. Who's Lizzo? What? I expected that. Oh, no. I saw it on Saturday Night Live. She always wears pink. (laughs) Oh, Saturday Night Live was good. You were just yanking her chain there. Yeah, I was. Okay. Hey there, if you've joined the podcast today, my name is Chris Jarvis. I work with companies on employee giving and volunteering programs. And my name's Jake McIsaac. I spend a lot of time thinking about public safety and restorative justice. So we are having conversations here that we've been having for 20 years. Yeah, the only difference now is we press record and share it with you. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we are thrilled to have Jake's friend and colleague, Melissa McKay, in the studio with us. We're going to address some things that we got wrong in season one's episode about cancel culture. Today is an opportunity to get some things right, do things better, and consider the difference between call out and cancel. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to give my opinion about everything. We're going to see if Chris can get canceled. All right. Here we go. Remember when you're like, hey man, you're my best friend. And I'd be like, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is the day where that comes comes around to... uh, I didn't think he ever noticed. I thought he was just being polite. Hey. But now I realize, oh, he did that on purpose. I shared, he's like, okay. Yeah. Listen. Tacos. You're you're awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like Melissa does that for for me. Oh. So when I say like, is my best colleague friend work like i just get a lot of energy working with melissa in a whole range of ways we but there's a downside you're saying too no not for me but definitely for melissa (laughs) and that's me (laughs) (laughs) we present together and i never stay on script (laughs) so melissa um how do we know each other so so we work together we do restorative justice work yeah. together we've worked together on campus safety we've worked for years together so you li- you've listened to the podcast i have and you hated an episode i think you told me that i did i didn't i told you i was yelling at my car because i listened to you guys in my car oh. and i tried i was just talking back serious? to you i well, thought you were exaggerating like usual like my friend hated it but she was yelling at her car no i'm like energized conversation it was it was our first season episode that we talked about cancel culture and immediately we started a uh chat thread after that of like uh, um articles back and forth because melissa wanted to respond to things we said so why not have a guess yeah let's let's go right to the source and if we don't like it can we just cancel her sure yeah okay that's how it works so that's how it works (laughs) <laughs> what, 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 what landed? What, what land? So if we were doing this restoratively, we might ask questions like what went well, what didn't, what? And just to be clear, this is an episode we did in season one towards the beginning of the season, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you can find it on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, anywhere you like to listen to podcast plug. It's episode seven. Sorry. Episode seven. Oh, yeah. You didn't Do even know that? like that she knows the number of the episode. Yeah. Wow. It really yeah. hurt. This is disconcerting. It, it okay. stung a little. Okay. I feel a yeah. little blindsided. Like. Like, I didn't expect this level of <laughs> accountability here. So, so what about it? What, what had you yelling at your car 
I just think you missed the point. Okay, don't, no, don't go sant. Right. Just say exactly. Yeah. I think you missed the point. So, um, no, so I think there was a lot, right? Actually, there was a lot of things that you got, right? That we talk about a lot when we work together. Uh, Like, no one's their worst mistake. People, you know, people need a way back. Mm-hmm. When things have gone wrong or when they have transgressed, there needs to be some way back to belonging, to um, coming back into the social fabric. Um, so all of that, I was like, yeah, really got it. I think you missed a feminist feminist analysis. Um, so I think it's what, if we're talking about cancel culture, you are talking about kind of canceling people individually and i loved the power and the privilege conversation you were having like that totally like landed for me i think you missed the cultural moment right now Mm. around a feminist reaction Mm. um and particularly um a, a particular kind of movement that feminists are kind of standing up in um in a real big way against um, sexualized violence, against racism, against um, right-wing kind of ideology. And I think that's a cultural moment we're in right now that was missing for me. Okay, so, so before okay. we begin. I got it. go ahead, you jump. I, Wait, we should introduce Melissa. Like, uh, we know we she did. works with you at the ticket office, the booth. But <laughs> I, I was wondering if we could get a few more credentials in in terms of, because I, it, well, I'm not going to speak for Melissa after that. <laughs> if you think that's about to happen, that is a trick, folks. A setup, a classic you know, Jarvis I had him, setup. I almost had him. Yeah. He was about to talk. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I, <laughs> um, so I work with Jake a lot. Mm-hmm. I, we work in restorative justice. Uh, so we do a lot of facilitation together. We do a lot of education together. So all over the province, we've done kind of national stuff together in Canada. Really? Uh, a little bit internationally. Um, and so, is it on a stage like at a conference or do you come yeah. into a company or a group? Okay. Yeah. At a conference for our own institutions and where we work. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, for many years I worked in sexualized violence prevention response uh, and Jake working in campus safety. Uh, actually, we worked kind of together all the time. So you're, are you actually in the same department? No. No. So you found each other on campus based on the kind of work you were doing and the perspective that you had. In fact connected up so strongly that you wrote a paper together and we're writing another one right and now. you're writing another one together. We, we've written several things together mm-hmm. but and um no melissa is i will say this because it's my fan moment melissa is um and you're an fan expert yeah. i'm a i'm a huge fan yeah. of the principles that underpin right. the way the way she works the way she what you learn through so yeah. i learn lots and uh, have been really lucky to work alongside yeah. melissa yeah, she. Same. I, I've Did never. It. He cites you all the time, like a, like it's a footnote thing in his conversation. So I actually don't cite well. <laughs> I just usually steal first. So. We do hard things together, so yeah, I think yeah, this exactly. is the work yeah. that we do. I think is often really challenging work, and it's work that people don't necessarily step into easily. And so I think you do develop, uh, you need to develop really good trusted relationships with the folks that you're doing that kind of work with. And we're lucky to have that, I think. 
And so you've been in this kind of work, the space that we cover in Disorienting Dilemma in this podcast for like 15 years, 15 years, 15 years. But okay. There's, there's, there's um, I think one of the challenges and why it's kind of so hard to talk about is we work with people who are at their most vulnerable. Uh, they've experienced incredible harms and traumas. Uh, people who are survivors of um, sexualized violence in many cases, uh, but also working with respondents. We work in, and, and so it's hard to talk about the work because much of the th stuff we do, you can't talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can talk at high levels about it, but conceptually, you know, but you, conceptually, can't, get into the, you yeah. can't get into telling the, the stories because, with names and, yeah. be, you know, because part of that trust is that, uh, you know, if people are going to engage in ways that uh, are, are giving them space to unpack how they feel and what they're thinking uh, in safe spaces, they have to believe that you're going to hold that. Mm -hmm private mm -hmm. so so melissa you were saying you had a reaction because it didn't capture the feminist perspective of the movement or the moment in yeah. history that we were at yeah yeah because i think you folks talked about it like canceling has always happened like that kind of pushing people from in group to yeah, out group and i think that's true yeah. i think that's very true but i think we are in a particular kind of reactionary spot right now politically socially where um feminists have pr particularly feminists you know the the me too movement has happened was created by Tarana Burke she was uh, she is um an African American feminist activist and that was really created in my understanding of it to create awareness of kind of like the universality of the of the shared experience yeah women, right almost every woman i know has experienced sexualized violence mm -hmm. And and it's normalized mm -hmm. to a degree. Mm -hmm. And so Me Too was kind of trying to stand up and say, hey, this isn't normal, actually. Like, this is a thing that we shouldn't be taking for granted. So, Melissa, when you say it's normalized, I know a number of people that I know would say, no, it's not. That's never been normalized. But you're talking about... A, a, a... Spectrum. Yes. So there's a sexualized violence or aggressive behavior in the workplace that is much broader than most of us would think about. We think about a, sort of a narrow lane of egregious actions, and then everything outside of that is boys being boys, and what are you gonna do? It's not their fault. They've got too much testosterone and not enough gray matter, so. It's just how you like pick up girls. It yeah. It's just how you yeah. interact in the world. Yeah, and secretly they all like it. So all, all of that gets, so Me Too is a push against that, and cancel culture is a way to, it it's, is a, a lever. A mechanism. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a way to right an injustice, I think. I think it's seeking justice where justice has not been available from the systems that are actually supposed to give us justice. So unlike Bitcoin, which was invented and the guidelines and parallel, and parallels, processes, whatever, for how it would work is all there, it goes out into the public... Me Too and cancel culture sort of organically springs up in more of a collective action where everybody says, yeah, that's my shared experience and that's some language or that's some, I can, how, how does that happen? How do, how do you get to the, a, a cancel culture? I think Me Too and cancel culture are not the same thing. So I don't want to conflate those okay. two things because Fair. Me Too, I think, was to bring attention and awareness to what women's experience were. And particularly to um, women with intersectional identities, um, gender diverse folks, like it was 
intended to like bring uh, bring eyes on it, like to make it visible. And I think from there, cancel culture kind of evolved to say, what are we going to do about this? Like nobody gives a crap about this. What's the consequence? Yeah. Like now that we know this, how do we deal with this when a justice system won't you know, won't respond well, isn't well suited to um, find truth, to yeah, exactly. isn't yeah. well suited to then provide sentences mm-hmm. that feel adequate mm-hmm. for folks. So you get into like this, you know, carceral feminist space too, where you're thinking about like, how do you adequately develop a consequence that holds somebody accountable for this? And, you know, is prison the right thing? Is, is that what we want to do? Some folks say, yeah. Um, I think I'm probably not, but <laughs> yeah, you're not a big retributive justice no. person, are you? Yeah. A little but, abolitionist. But what, what, so in, um, I know a little bit about this, but you've spent a lot of time talking to people who, who are survivors of sexualized violence. What are the things that, that they need or that they tell you that they want for coming forward Right. in those moments? So, I mean, everyone has a different kind of perspective on what they need and what, what would help them. Um, to move forward in a good way, often and almost universally, no matter what they feel the right next step is, they want it to matter and they want it not to happen to someone else. Well, I think we need to get to, I, I really strongly believe we need to get to the root causes of why this happens, right? And that is a cultural conversation. Okay. So let's, Yeah, I want to go back to the car before we start going into... Uh-huh. Um, what we should do and just can you list out for us some of the angles just for listeners at home <clears throat> she has a very thick book full of yeah. notes lots Pray to God. i come it's prepared not one, one episode i know there's been uh, some reactions of folks out there saying you didn't quite get it right you, it was an interesting conversation but it wasn't necessarily about cancel culture at the points you made so could you just walk us through a few of those so i think you talked about this uh, at the individual level, I think you talked about this in terms of when someone transgresses and we boycott them. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be somebody who has power. It needs to be somebody who has privilege or else it doesn't really matter. C.K. Lewis, let's pick him. Right. So this conversation has largely played out in kind of celebrity spheres for yeah. all of us to see, right? And, and oh, analyze. Wait, 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 wait. Louis C.K.? What did you, I say? But it doesn't matter. Louis you got it. Yeah, yeah, but are yeah, we yeah. Those words in a different order. Yes. He hasn't been canceled, right? We, we, we're not suggesting that he's been canceled. I think he's been, like, he was the most powerful comedian. Did you not see he just had another? Oh, yeah. I'm, he, yeah, but he's, so nibbling, that's not canceled. he's nibbling at the edges. He so lost his status. You've hit it, though. There is this whole debate oh, around wait, wait, cancel who, culture. Who hit it? Jake, you hit it. Thank you. That there's this whole debate around cancel culture. Does it even <laughs> exist? Because. Right. Is there actually any meaningful accountability by yeah. canceling anyone? Yeah. No, like they'll just find a new audience of people who actually agree with them. And that's hugely problematic. We've talked about comedy before. This happened with Dave Chappelle. People doubled down in those yeah. audiences. No, you know, I'm no longer going for the jokes. I'm going to support. I'm going to support Louis C.K. So there's a couple of things on Louis C.K. in particular that I think are helpful that he does still have a career. He is still popular. He is, is still making a lot of money. He's doing that with a very different audience than he used to have, I think. I used to be a fan of Louis C.K. I've seen him live. I've like saw him on the street in Montreal and like shook his hand after a show. It was the best. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was a big deal. Okay. 
uh, I, I'm troubled by him now. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that as a person who thinks everyone deserves a way back. And so even like there's conflict and tension in my own feminist psyche about how this works and how we engage with people um, who haven't had those had to have those moments of accountability or responsibility for the harm that they've caused. What, and what does that look like and how does that happen? I don't think he's, maybe he's had that privately, but he's showing up now as a very different comedian. He's the showing I'm up sorry now. tour is like a, a punch joke. in the face to <laughs> yes. people who were offended. It, there, yes. it lacks everything that we would look for in a reflective response where you were accepting responsibility, where you were... Uh, trying to hear the other person. You don't have to be moved by it, but you have to give them space to be heard. I don't think that happened. No. It was a double down. But I think he became hugely defensive right away, but dug into that defensive position. And now he has an audience of people in an echo chamber who think he was right all along and that he was a victim Mm -hmm. and have kind of forgotten about the harm that he caused. Or would not consider it. Or would not consider it harmful. It's just like, look, nobody was tied down. You could have left whenever you want. Yeah, you want career. I I know that I've had those conversations with those people and I get that point of view and why they could easily go to a show. Then how do you pivot to a learning space? Like, Melissa, we were asking you that question. How do... (laughs) Well, I, so I think, I think this is my problem with cancel culture and this isn't a popular view among feminist community. I'm sometimes not popular because I think it doesn't actually offer people any space to be reflective. I think it forces folks to dig in and be defensive or maybe immediately say you're sorry without knowing the harm that you've caused and what you're sorry for. Mm -hmm. So I think there's kind of two places that you can come back from on that. You can double down or you can just apologize because it's the thing that everyone expects you to do. And I don't actually think that's meaningful or responsible in terms of the accountability. We need to create safer communities for for folks. But I think, so if you come out and say that you don't think cancel culture is a thing um, because you don't agree with it, it's often positioned as, you know, you support free speech and you're right wing and you're, you know, cancel culture is bad because it victimizes these people. And I'm not there. Mm. So I want to be clear about that. Okay. So somebody gets canceled. It sounds a lot like, uh, Jake, you, you had time in the church. Uh, do you remember when people broke... F- broke the church rules and they were excommunication. Yeah. But there's a whole ordeal. You have Mm -hmm. to go to the pastor and you have to confess your sin and be contrite. And they do look for tears. Then you go to the deacons or the elders and you have to do the same thing, Yep, uh, which is terrible because it's almost always men. And then you go in front of the church and do it there. And you have the giving the most explicit worst version and with tears. And then you could be forgiven or, but you were always marginalized. Yes. Right? You you carry that forever. So we were not going to ostracize you. You're probably going to have to go to counseling for this long, and you're going to have to let us look at your laptops because we're going to get into all of your business at this point. But people, uh, do you know many people who stayed? They'll go through that ordeal, but then basically they cancel themselves out because you can't. It's, it's too, not sustainable. Yeah, it's tainted. Everything is tainted. You you. What was the phrase you used? I am not my mistakes. 
are my worst. I'm yeah. not my worst moments. Yeah. Right. Brandy yeah. Carlisle has a great song about that as well. And yet human beings, we, we can push you to the edge of the tribe and mock you and color you and stick an A on you for, for a whole bunch of good or bad reasons. I've never seen a coming back, even though I know certain religious groups say, oh, it's always about coming back. I couldn't no. tell you a historical moment where the person could come back whole. No, you come back scarred. You scarred. come back And, and, uh, and it's hard. important that you hold on. Like, don't try and get rid of your scar. Like, we all need you to own that you screwed up. And I feel like cancel culture is, it's not in religion, but it's this human behavior of a tribe to take the weak link out or the link that embarrassed, broke faith. We have a bunch of rules. You broke faith. You'll be punished on behalf of all of us that are breaking the rules because someone needs to pay this price. In fact, Christianity is just a religion about that. Somebody's got to die for something here. Yes. Although, not although. So yes, new thought. I wonder if there's a gendered angle here because when I think about cancel culture, my I did what Melissa said not to do, don't conflate the two. So I was thinking cancel culture, me too, and mostly around sexualized violence. Overwhelmingly, in instances of sexualized violence, men are more likely and often uh, reported as per perpetrators of that violence. Of course, that is true. But when you started talking about it, you actually took an intersectional view about cancel. There's lots of things you can be canceled on. So it's not just about it could be the thing you said, you know, the joke. It could be about racism. It could be clothes you're wearing. What transphobia? You know, yeah, yeah, trans. Right. So this intersectional piece is, I think, really important because I think it it signals an offense. How do you come back from the highest end harm? How do you come? And I mean, I think there's a particular taboo um, for, and I was say i think we don't know how to deal with people who cause sexualized violence people who are racist and you know air quotes air quotes a little bit so but like right now. but like if you do something that is racist are you racist and then if if you are that thing how do we accept you so cancel culture kicks in when it reaches a certain level of harm or um what do you call it when something's really interesting uh salaciousness i don't know that it's salaciousness i think it is so i'll speak about sexualized violence because that's kind of where my my lens goes um i think we do not do a good job in our systems at responding well to it at responding to the harm of it um when we say that it's happened that the justice system, if we're going into that sphere, talks about we have to prove that it happened. We don't believe you. We tear you down in terms of your credibility as someone who has survived that um, through trial processes and all of those Which things. Which are meant to be adversarial. Absolutely meant to be adversarial to find truth. And I think all of the kind of feminist analysis of that is that it does not do that it is not effective at it's, finding truth designed for that. Yeah. and relies on gender stereotypes and the patriarchy actually mm. in terms of that system was created to protect um, those other systems 
So, you know, I think there is a point at which sexualized violence and the the range of a universal experience of it makes it so such that we actually do have to look at ourselves. Each of us have to look at ourselves and how we're, you know, not necessarily perpetrating acts of sexualized violence, but how are we complicit in that? How have we seen that happen around us, all of us? And I think it makes it much easier for us to say, you've done that. That's terrible. You should go live on an island because we can't have you here without. And I think you you folks did get to this in your podcast, uh, the first episode. You know, it prevents us from having to look in the mirror. Yeah. Be, uh, this comes from an article. I, re- I cannot find it. Or I haven't looked that hard. From the Atlantic, which talks about why we like serial killers. Yeah. Because a monster at that extreme means I'm not one. As long as we can send those people into the jungle out of our tribe, we're not that bad, right? Yeah. So the, it, so I feel like that's why when it happens with these high-profile people, it's like, oh, somebody else we can burn. But that's a very, that's a negative view, though, Melissa, versus the what you were talking about, which is uh, we need some sort of mechanism to respond to the sexualized violence or these even rampant microaggressions or hostile work environments or whatever, like we need to do something, but it feels like a reaction that makes a lot of sense and it works, but it can be co-opted by all of the rest of us to say, well, I'm not that guy. So I don't have to worry about it or do the work. There's a one thing that I think I really appreciate the, about the way Melissa works uh, in much of the stuff that I get sort of to see us do together or, or in, interact is this individual and collective responsibility lens. So the resisting of seeing um, cancel culture as just this interpersonal thing, the person as a two party, the person who did the thing and the person who um, was harmed by the thing that happened. Um, but really saying, but what else is what else matters in this? What about this uh, collective responsibility? Who are we together? Who do we want to be as a community? Um, not so much as like you described that we have to protect the norms and 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 carve it out, but can we establish new norms and new ways of relating and connecting with each other? And and we, in our work together with restorative justice, we use that language of individual and collective responsibility. Can you talk a little bit about that if you're... Yeah, well, I think that is, that is holding up the mirror, right? That is the hard work of saying, actually, things don't happen in a vacuum. There are root causes and contributing factors that... You know, there are no monsters, there are no bad apples who are just out there doing this from nowhere. And so we have to kind of not excuse the person who caused harm. And certainly we have to tend to the people who have been harmed um, and tend to their needs, tend to their justice needs. Um, But we have to be thinking too about how are we going to respond when this happens in our community so that we're being protective of these people in this space and um, creating conditions for this not to happen again? Right, creating Yeah, exactly. So w- w- why does this happen? And where, where do these feelings come from that can be expressed in that extreme? We all know, but it, it's easier just to say, to pretend that it's a bad apple that went wrong, and, but our, we're fine. That, that's my concern with cancel culture is that it is propagating this sacrifice of the individual so that the rest of us. Can I, can I give an example? Melissa and I were asked um, as a part of a team to go and do a uh, 
what people thought was a workplace investigation uh, into a person who was acting um, aggressively. Would that be the word? Yes. In the workplace. Okay. And what and, happened? Okay, I don't need to know any specifics, mm -hmm. but was the uh, uh, I'm almost trying to think about what mm -hmm. I had this person in mind. Was no. you? <laughs> was no. a male of a certain age? Yes. No, treating I... um, the other folks in his uh, workplace. Yeah. Um, treating them in ways that were were harmful and 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 um, experienced as sexist. And I, I, that's not you. I just want to thank pull that you. Back. Yeah, but, yeah. But could you give us? A, don't, don't tell us what happened. But I mean, just is, are we talking physical? Or is it? Hey, hun. Is it massaging shoulders? I get a creepy story about some dude who did, had no idea. I've he probably wasn't being heard friendly. that story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so all, we've had that boss. So I think we've done cases where there's been all of that. So to be clear, but this particular one was. Um, not physical, but it was a range of everything else. And it made people feel unsafe. The, so the reason I'm asking, and I keep yeah. interrupting is because I would be out in the audience thinking, is it the kind of thing I do? Like, what's he talking about? Yeah. And I would immediately push it to an extreme kind of, oh, it was, a, it was aggressive behavior. So he's not, I'm that bystander watching right. this thing play out, but it is not about me. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you give us an example where I might go, wait, what? That's the thing? Because am I in he's, this story? He's using gendered language, right? He's When he gets angry, he's loud and uh, it's experienced as aggressive. He might describe it as being assertive or being, or just, you know what? It I needs speak to get my done. mind. I'm just going to get it done. And yeah, right? It's demeaning. It's kind of condescending, mm -hmm. even on a good day, mm -hmm. condescending and kind of treating female colleagues like they don't know what they're doing. Is there like they're inadequate at their stuff jobs. like that language yeah. being used? No. Like honey and sweetie? A little bit. Okay. Well, you know, not, not really because, you know, they're like my daughters. Yeah. They're just like my daughters. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't be, I couldn't be sexist. I've got, I've got kids. I've got girls. Which is a whole other so, episode. Yeah. But we, so there's, there's that, right? And so what they do <laughs> is they, he's sent home. And we're asked to come in to work with the rest of the office post canceling. All right. So we canceled him. He's out. Now fix the rest of them. We get back to work. Right. Okay. Except he's only out for a week. A hot because minute. this was this going back to Melissa's. There's this urgency. That's a vacation. And there's Those this. <laughs> right. But there's this urgency when, when someone in charge finds out, I've got to do something. I've got to send you home. Yep. What do you do when they come back? Yep. How do they come back? Everyone else was really happy with the boss on day one when you were like, you've got to go home. You can't send him home forever. Is he going to, did you fire him? Oh, well, there's not enough to fire him. Yeah, we'll go to then lose our shirt. What is the way back? Which everyone was happy. Issue, there's no way to take this to the courts because there's no segue. That's like, right. For the, it's what, not talking, criminal. Did anybody die? Did you hit anybody? Okay, well, figure it out yourself. Right. Yeah. So what the work became was figuring out what the complex range of needs that people had in this moment and to do a timeline about not just the thing that was what sent him home that day, what was leading up to it? What was happening all the way along? What were the, like Melissa says, what, were, what was contributing to that? So they send this person home. Everyone's kind of happy they're home. Canceling does present a bit of a moment though, right? Yeah. 
So I think canceling does signal that people need to pause. They need a, a break, but to do something, to do some work, to do some reflection, to, you know, we talked about that dual opportunity that canceling offers in terms of um, you can be defensive or you can just apologize. And what I think a break or a pause allows for is actually people to use that time to think about what do I need to apologize for? What, what was the harm that happened here? How do I think about what people might need for me to come back? And how do I think about what I might need to do to come back well? So, okay, let's, let's kind of push it out then for a minute. Amber Heard yeah. needs to be, be heard uh, about her experiences, writes an article, gets sued by her ex-husband, Johnny Depp. Uh, can you help us make sense of that? So I think there's a timeline piece here that's important around when that article came out, when she talked about this um, experience in her in her relationship that, you know, she describes herself as a survivor of domestic violence. There was a reaction to that socially. There was, uh, you know, Johnny Depp lost some work. People mm -hmm. were um, starting to have to reconcile who they thought they knew and loved as a celebrity who's, you know, iconic Edward mm -hmm. Scissorhands, mm -hmm. like everybody, great, great movie. you know, like everybody loves Johnny Depp until you find out he abuses his wife. And there is this wrestling with cancel culture. So there's a whole other argument around whether an NDA or a gag order is appropriate to put on someone who's experienced domestic violence or sexualized violence. Is that is that a thing that you're never allowed to speak about publicly as a part of, um, you know, the fabric of who you are? Um, maybe that's a compartmentalized aspect of this conversation. I think his response in suing her, though, set off kind of a, a cultural response to this. Now that is everybody lined up behind the side they thought they were on for this whole thing i totally everybody see that. loved catching a woman lying and that was weird yeah it, i mean it's not unlike witch trials yes that's what it felt like no i okay with, but listen it's for the false no but wait 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 no no witch trials witch trials are with about memes no okay I, yeah. well, which trials were about, let's find the lady that we're going to burn, like it's a, the first part of the conversation. But this trial specifically was in an adversarial court set up to address the NDA. But you're talking about the process in the court. And I think we're talking about the reaction on social media, That's the, the circus yeah. all yes. around it, yes. and everything that it started to say about misogyny and yes. sexism. Who we are and who we believe. And the joy that people took in seeing a woman's credibility destroyed, you know, we poked fun at her. We, the collective we, mm -hmm. poked yeah. fun at her um, cruelly uh, when she recounted her experience of being sexually assaulted mm -hmm. and abused. And by all accounts, that relationship was complex. She was not the perfect victim. Right. right. She, I mean, there was, I didn't care about the give and take of abuse back and forth and the way they treated each other. I, I didn't care about any of that. But I think the phenomenon you're talking about, and Jake, that you mentioned, that human behavior of turning on the weak one, you know what I mean? Like we, we were on him 
And then we were immediately easily flipped to the other. And I see that this is a species problem, right? So I agree with you 100%. There's a different, that what happened in the trial and the technicalities of the trial, that's one thing. But the way we as a group of people, you know, ease, quickly turned on Depp and then turned on her, we were so easily manipulated. And we want, it's almost like we want to find who to hate. I think it was a very convenient opportunity uh, for folks who are sexist, misogynist, who wanted to find the proof, yep. the one shred of evidence to support the claim that all women lie about sexual assault, that if you have an encounter, that someone's coming back to cancel you later, someone's going to uh, raise this, they're going to say you did this thing and you have to fiercely defend yourself and these men's rights groups kind of spring up. This became that moment and they capitalized on it. Any kind of inconsistency in her story, they were like, look, a lying woman. And this was an awful moment for, well, Melissa used that term, not a perfect victim. And that is, that was really, really hard for, I think, people who are sitting there, I would imagine, people who are sitting there trying to debate, do I come forward? Do I say anything? Mm -hmm. Is this how my life is going to be picked mm -hmm. apart? Um, can a lot of things be true at the same time? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think she was not telling the truth they, they love the inconsistencies in her story not that she was completely wrong so they're willing to say yeah he may have done that but look here's where we caught her lying which i mean in every decent court case that's what you're after gotcha right like, yeah, but the uh, judge didn't say that this was outside of the court i yeah. i don't know maybe and it was a jury trial mm -hmm. and so it is a bit of a litmus test mm -hmm. in terms of what do your peers think about how this plays out, given the evidence that you've heard, given the, the circus that you've presented here? But don't you think some of the jury could have said, okay, she definitely wrote that article. She said she would never, we all knew it was about Johnny Depp. So, and she didn't do anything that she agreed to with the other 7 million. So on all of these things, and we found certain things that she shared were wrong. So you compile all of this together and that jury just said on, on the scope of what we're looking at, we have to fight against her. But I could definitely see those jurists going out into the real world and going, but what a horrible thing to happen because it it does give ammunition to the worst parts of our society. Yeah. Visually, if you look at Amber Heard, she looks like she should be the perfect victim. She's white. She's blonde. She's pretty. Yeah. Um, she's so popular. you could imagine, she's popular. She was. Um, you could imagine how this plays out in other courtrooms for women who may be racialized, who mm. maybe are not heterosexual, are on, you know. Have a rap sheet. Uh, other intersectional identity, exactly. I just think that's worth saying that, yeah. you know, if we're, if we're digging into that victim piece. Um, but I think where it went well, um, a recent example, Lizzo, who everyone loves, who's mm -hmm. awesome at almost everything, I, I everything as far as I know. It's about damn time. Right? Mm. Yes, Who's it is. Lizzo? What? I, I expected that. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. I saw it on Saturday Night Live. She always wears pink. <laughs> was it, oh, Saturday Night Live was good. <laughs> oh, she, she you're just yanking about. her chain there. Yeah, it was. Okay. So but I think she did a she did it right. So yeah. Lizzo got um to be fair, I don't think anybody tried to cancel Lizzo. Okay. 
I think. And got this feedback. is she got feedback, and I think, but it was a call out moment. So the difference between call out culture and cancel culture, um, I think, is that call out culture actually gives some space, probably not the best always, but some space for you to learn. Oh, and right. I don't think canceling offers that same space. So I think that that's like canceling is like, no, you're out. We're done. Call out is like, you did this. What are you going to do about it? Okay. And so I think Lizzo was called out on um, some ableist lyrics in, or a, an ableist lyric in mm-hmm. one of her songs on her new album. And she responded pretty quickly, but she did some work and kind of checked in with uh, folks in uh, community and said, oh, you know, like came out with a statement that I actually didn't know okay. about the harm that this would cause. But of course, now that I know, I'm going to change that. So cancel culture only works if I'm canceled by my in-group because I just, I've been thinking if there are a bunch of far-right individuals you don't listening care. and they cancel me, I'd think, okay. Super. Super duper. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I think that's right. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Might I'll- actually lend to your credibility, actually, if yeah. you're canceled by your hooker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Intentional cancel culture. Who don't I want to be seen with? Okay, so yeah. Al Franken, 2018, about the same time as uh, I think the uh, Washington Post article comes out, 2017, 2018, height of conversation. It's very topical. It's on all, and the Trump administration is a perfect backdrop for this conversation, right? He was canceled or called out, and then he resigned and left, and has been pretty public, as public as you can be for somebody who's canceled and has gone back to wherever state he's in, Minnesota, Michigan, something like that. He's been doing the work, and now he's kind of popping up a little bit more. But he very quickly let go of everything. Instead of even putting the person through the process of having to prove, like, you know, just skipped all of that. Is that was that canceled, or was that a call-out? And the consequences look exactly the same, so do, should I care if it's canceled or call-out? Well, but I think if he's finding a way back after doing some work, he's doing what we were kind of talking about in that case that we were talking about, right? Like taking a break, doing some work to figure out what I need to do to come back well. Who adjudicates that? Like who who says, that's good. You've done enough. Oh, you've hit the problem in restorative justice. Awesome. The, the feedback that we often get is, how do you know? That is a legitimately the question. And so because we're used to having someone vouch for it, we're looking for someone to hold it up and say, you've done enough, instead of the container, the process itself doing that. So people doing that together, they will often look to Melissa and I as facilitators to say, did Chris do enough? What did Chris do? Did we get the pound of flesh? Is did it we get the pound of flesh? And w- folks will really wrestle in a restorative way to say, I don't know, that's your work to figure out what justice requires. Who's your work? The public? The, the folks who've engaged in this process. So okay, if, but what if the public feels like they're all really involved in Al Franken stuff? What if they're like, we don't think it was enough and we weren't involved? You're looking at me like I'm going to... No, no. Like there's a trap door going to open up. I'm going to fall. <laughs> I wish everybody could see the look on Jake's face. He's like, oh, <laughs> I walked you right into it. Let's go. And my only question would be, what do they do with the traditional justice systems that are available to them? So sometimes we, we take community-based justice processes or um, restorative pathways and we hold them to a different standard that we would hold the traditional system to. 
unfairly because you would have the same problem. Lots of sentences come about where people say, I don't think that's right. And then what do you do about it? Nothing. It doesn't matter what you think. The system said it's done. Right. And so I would, this is my view. I'm not speaking for Melissa. I'm only speaking for myself. My view I is. I have spoken for Melissa several times. That's yeah, the, but that's how, that's here. why yeah. next time it'll be Melissa and Jake <laughs> on this podcast. So um, that's fair. there's, um, I, I take the position of in the same way that you just take it when the traditional system does it. In some ways, you have to then leave it to the participants of this process. Whether, you know, you can have an opinion, you can be looking, but at, at some point, it's not justice for every single person. And everybody doesn't ever have to agree with the results or the findings or even the process. It's just, we just need to know it's there. Can you articulate that the principle you, that the process you followed was principled, uh, that it was focused on seeking justice for those most directly impacted and involved? And, and attending to their needs, paying attention to the, you know, circumstances, the, the, the causes and context, but it, it's really focused on the needs and, and, and impacts of those most directly involved. I, would you add anything to that, Melissa? No, but I think on that Al Franken example, I don't know that much. I remember it vaguely when it happened. I didn't know much about his journey since, so I don't know how his way back is going, but I would say you know, there will be people who will have to judge in, you know, the best way that they can, how he's showing up. Has he learned? Does he get full, the full entry back? Um, because he's showing up like he has learned from this and like he has done that work. I think there's space for that when people have meaningfully done the work. So in process, it's, it's, you know, in a restorative process, it's it's a participant kind of community level. What are the needs and, and are the needs met here? But I think in that broader social fabric, there will be a sense of people having to evaluate, oh, how do I feel about this person now, given the journey they've been on and how they've talked about that, whether they choose to talk about that. So there's no universality of they've been acquitted or they're fine now, or they've served their time so they can come back into society. And to be fair. Because there's none in the other system either. There's none in the other, yeah. And when I come back to society after serving my time, I bring back the word felon with me for the rest of my life. It's not like the retribution system is nice and clear cut. You drag that junk around with you forever too. Well, it I, it becomes part of your identity. Yeah. And then you're wrestling with these intersections again. So, you know, as it becomes part of your identity, what does that mean? It's a piece of who you are. It's something that shapes your experiences and your lived experience from that point on. Uh, it is in some ways no different than my experiences as a black male. I now have one more intersecting piece mm. of that, that puzzle to shape the going forth. I didn't have it my whole life, but now I've got it for the rest. Um, and it is this weird moment about what is the effect of a pardon then? So if a pardon is to remove that piece and to make your identity whole again, does it actually do that? Would be interesting to, to find out. I haven't done enough uh, thinking about that or talking to folks who've experienced that. But, um, you know, is there really a way back is 
maybe it's just who you are from now well, on. I, you know, in NA or AA, we would always say, I'm an alcoholic. Even if Forever. I'm clean and sober for 30 years, I still say this is part of my identity. And I, defines I account me. for it. Yeah. Because I could be that again. Mm-hmm. Or I always am, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, a great conversation, Melissa. Thank you for coming in. But can I ask her one wild card question at the end? You're looking directly. What are you asking me? If you can ask Melissa something. Yeah. yeah. What? It, it's Melissa okay, May, Chris. Can we it, ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you well, can. I was gonna. Go, I was gonna okay. ask Melissa. Too. <laughs> okay. It's good to check in with with the group. We don't have women on this show, right? And we talk about a lot of issues that affect the majority of the human population. Mm-hmm. From a very male perspective. Right. Any other things? <laughs> what? Anything else? You Any other notes all the for episodes? you? Yeah. Like, just let's do it all at once here. Let's just, I don't want to get canceled, Melissa. So okay. give a heads up on where we might be. Well, I don't think you're you're missing the mark um, in giant. I, I'll usually call Jake and debrief an episode if I think I need to. If I'm yelling at my car. Um, but... So I think you're showing up as pretty good allies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what folks need. So, I, you know, I don't think you need to like have every identity represented around your microphone table. Okay. But I think you need to be open to doing the learning and to hearing the feedback. Yeah. And to, um, yeah, it sucks. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> we want more of, ironically. But yeah. Yeah. And to like showing up with that learning orientation and as an ally, like as, as somebody who's like, oh, this isn't my experience, but I, I want to make sure that I lift those voices up. Mm. And so, um, I think, I think you're doing that. And I think, I think I want more of that always. And you, you, we can keep swooping you in to the studio here to. For sure. Hold us accountable. We are cancel culture. Consultant. <laughs> Shield. Shield. I'm more than one thing, but. Oh my God. Yes, you are. I'm so <laughs> Do you know, uh, the whole premise of this show is what would it be like to live as though we were in an inclusive world? Right. Right. And so we're trying to talk less about what needs to change and how the world should bend to fit our perspective of what it should be which i'm sure 20 years from now we'll be horrified at some of the things we suggested but at the same time it is really interesting to be in this conversation and to be try to be very vulnerable because there's a threat right like if it, the more vulnerability i i bring to this conversation the m- more likely it is that i will get called out on some things because i'm on the show to be called out on things. Does that make sense? Like yeah. I'm trying to find the things that I need to notice. Jake, I know you yeah. are too from yeah, your yeah. point of view, right? For yeah. having to yeah. live in it. I think what we set out to do is to have hard conversations together, um, allowing people to drive in their car and yell at it, but they're journeying with us. So there is something about the drive, hmm. right? So Melissa's on That's the drive to daycare yeah. and we're talking and Melissa's yelling at us. And every once in a while, we'll extend the microphone or a tweet or however people want to connect with us. So yeah, we can please hear write other us, voices. Text us, anything. Let us know what you're thinking. So we're doing our work, but we're open to having more folks in our community to talk to. Yeah. Thanks, Same. Melissa. Yeah, no problem. This awesome. is so much fun.
This has been a Podstarter production. production.